Welcome to another episode of John Talks. It's been a while, admittedly. Uh, I've had a few things on my plate, so I haven't been able to get a lot done on the podcast front. The listens have actually gone up, so maybe I should just continue not making content, and then like, that's when people will listen to me. But anyway, today's guest, my buddy, Steve Inman from the All Hoops podcast. New episode dropped yesterday. This will be airing on Thursday. You can check it out on Apple and Spotify. Steve, how you doing, my man? I'm doing great, John. Thanks for having me. I'm so thrilled to be talking about the two greatest topics in the world, the MLB playoffs and the Mets being sold. All right. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly what we're going to hit upon today. Um, this has been in the works for a while. Um, I think the best, I shouldn't say this, <laughs> I shouldn't say this, but I feel like the best day of the Mets season this year was the report that came out that Steve Cohen was going to buy the Mets and then like 20 minutes later, Ahmed Rosario hit a walk-off home run at Yankee Stadium. Like that seemed to be the best like 20-minute stretch of this season for the Mets. And then they blow a five-run lead the next day. And I think they got – was it a doubleheader the next day against the Yankees? It's a doubleheader. They, they lost one of them one nothing, and the other one they blew a five-run lead. They <laughs> lost – they missed the playoffs by, what, two games? That's the right. day. Yeah. That is the day right there. So, no, I don't think it's hyperbole to say the day before was the best day of the season because there weren't a lot of great moments. And you're talking about, you know, probably their best on-the-field win and then the most historical thing and most important thing to happen to them since I've followed the franchise, I would think. Yeah, no, it, it's certainly up there. Uh, having said that, Steve, though, I'm really glad that Steve Cohen ended up buying the team, not from a money standpoint, and not because he's a Mets fan. I think it's just because he's one guy, and he seems like an executive. Uh, the J-Rod camp, uh, while there was a lot of star power there and there wasn't enough money, if you looked at it, they had like 15 owners listed. Who's calling the shots? Who's got a stake in what? Like, th there's too many cooks in the kitchen. I'd rather Steve Cohen come in or one guy come in hire your general manager president, which it seems that Steve Cohen's going to go with Sandy Alderson. I like the move. We'll talk about that in a second. But overall, listen, I don't know Steve Cohen from a hole in the wall. I know that he's worth a lot of money uh, and, and I think $14 billion, now $12 billion after the sale goes through. Either way, I, I don't know what he's going to be like as an executive when it comes to running a baseball team, but I just like that there's one guy in charge and he seems to have no problem delegating all of that uh, stuff to baseball people, most importantly, Sandy Alderson, who will be coming back. Yeah, John, I mean, anybody who has doubts about Cohen, which you can have doubts, he's never owned a team before, you know, there's been off the field issues around him, but there was a tweet from John Heyman about a week ago that made anyone who doubted this go get on board, which was if A-Rod was in charge, he was going to let Jeff Wilpon to keep his title as president of baseball operations. And who would you rather have? You'd rather have, you know, A-Rod and Wilpon or Steve Cohen and Sandy. It seems like an easy choice, regardless of what you think of Cohen or A-Rod because of the other two men that we know involved in that. So I just think it's a home run because look, they went from this high market New York team that was 13th in payroll this year. That was a mid-market team the last few years where you already heard reports that if they did not get the sale done this year, don't expect them to add payroll. They had 50 million coming off the books this winter. And you're talking about they're not going to add payroll. So look, this is a godsend for an organization that has desperately needed one. And look, is Cohen just going to come in here and start spending hundreds of millions of dollars? Maybe, maybe not. But it seems like regardless, they're going to be in a better position from an analytical standpoint, from a scouting standpoint, from 
you know, just a ballpark experience standpoint. And uh, I'm really excited to see that as a Mets fan. I remember an athletic article probably a few months ago that listed all of the analytical people in each team's departments or departments for them. And the Mets only had three analytics guys. And you look at some of the best analytical teams, they're in the twenties. They're in the low twenties in terms of the amount of people um, when it comes to that stuff. So, so that's a good thing. I think Alderson will spend the money, right? I don't think he's going to drop $300 million on a player, Um, but you could expect to see Alderson dropping money in areas that he might not have done his first tenure with the Mets. I think uh, extending, extending Conforto has got to be numero uno for him. Um, he, there might be some negotiated deals that like buy out arbitration for Pete Alonso and Dom Smith. Maybe that's on the table. I'm not sure, but that's something that wouldn't have been done uh, had the previous ownership group been in there. So that's sure. something that, that, uh, that I'm looking forward to see, but you know, Brody Van Wagenen put all his chips to the middle of the table and by the way, like it's assumed Brody's not coming back, right? Like I, that's how I take it. I, I would not say for sure he's not coming back. I would say for sure he won't be back as a general manager because right. from what I've heard, people have really liked his drafts. They've said he's been, you know, you mentioned putting all your trips in the middle of the table and that's been a bad thing for this organization. It's been pretty good for his drafts where, you know, they had a kid in Matt Allen who was supposed to be a top 10, top 15 pick who was, quote, not being able to be signed, they got him in the third round, and he's one of their top two or three best prospects in the game, in uh, in the organization right now. So he's done some things well. Overall, he was a terrible general manager. And I say was, because I believe it's over. But if you wanted to put him in the scouting department, which I don't think he would accept, I think he'd rather just go back to being an agent and making much more money. But if you put him in there as a reassignment kind of thing and just said, you know, we're going to let him do that for six months so he can kind of leave after his contract's up without seeming like he was fired. That wouldn't shock me, but I would think his time running the organization is over. Yeah, no, 100% with that. Um, it's funny, actually, with the way the Mets have gone over the last few years. If you're an ex-GM, you still end up getting a position in the organization anyway. Omar Minaya is still there. Uh, Terry Collins wasn't a general manager, but he's still in the organization, which is funny. But, but here's the one thing about Brody. Uh, and you look at 2020, if you really were all in, and this is uh, having your cake and eating it too. Obviously, the Mets wouldn't have Edwin Diaz without giving up Kalenic and Justin Dunn. But the Mets could have used Justin Dunn this year. Like, yeah. And yeah. I know that he had a few rough starts. I mean, every rookie doesn't come booming out of the gate. Uh, but he seemed to turn it around towards the end of this year. Uh, and that would have been a good arm to, to have when Stroman ultimately walks. Or let's say if you don't trade Anthony Kay for Marcus Stroman, which I'm not against that move because it, it was a win-now move. They made a push to the playoffs. The Mets ran out of time. They it was strange series. to have a win-now move when they were significantly under 500, And that right. move would be criticized a lot more if they didn't make that furious comeback at the end of the year. But I think the way they were structured, which is completely different now, it didn't make a lot of sense to be paying $13 million plus – giving up prospects for a year and a half on Marcus Stroman. Now you, you don't even think about that money. If you want to give him the qualifying offer for $18 million on a one-year deal, you kind of just, whatever, sure, because you have all this money to spend now. But at the time, it just didn't seem like a smart way to use his limited budget and his limited prospects. And it kind of doubled down on what I thought was a big mistake in the Kalenic edwin Diaz trade you mentioned. From a baseball standpoint, not monetary reasons, do you think the Mets should re-sign Marcus Stroman? I wouldn't. I think he's a bad fit. And I say that because this is probably the worst infield defense in the baseball, in baseball, at least in the division. 
and he's a ground ball guy. He's a guy who gets weak contact, and you saw it. He had an awful tough time in his limited starts here getting ground balls to be hit at guys, and they would turn those into outs. And I think that's something where he's kind of like a Dallas Keuchel kind of guy. He's a mid-rotation starter. You know, he's younger than, than Dallas Keuchel, so I would think he gets a little bit more on the market. I could see if he wasn't coming off a loss year, getting three years, $45 million. I would be interested to see if they offer him the one-year qualifying offer. You know, for him, he's from here. You get a one-year deal for $18, $19 million for, on a team that you expect to be decent. I would think both sides would be somewhat interested in that. And then he tests the market as a free agent again in a year. Yeah, I think, and I have no problem extending the qualifying offer to him. If he thinks he could get more, go ahead and do it. Uh, who am I to get stop the draft him? pick? So I, I think it's a win. It's a win-win for the Mets, but if uh, he does decline that, I would not, I would not go after him. With Stroman, I like the bravado. I like the machismo. I like that stuff. And I wish that more pitchers were like that. Um, I know Matt Harvey ultimately didn't end up working out with the Mets, but he changed the culture. His attitude changed the culture for the better, ultimately having the Mets win a pennant. I like pitchers that are like that. I like pitchers that are giving the ball and go out there. But having said that, Stroman's bark has been way more forceful than his bite. Uh, he has not performed at the level that he used to be. And it's funny, just looking at Marcus Stroman as a whole, and, and this is me being a non, uh, you know, just a viewer. I've never played the game, blah, 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 blah. But like, you know, he's got two years. I know wins don't mean anything anymore, but he's got two years in his career where he's had uh, more wins than losses. Uh, was in the Cy Young chase in, in 2017, had a good world baseball classic. After that, like, what, what did he do? He was good in 2015 in the playoffs, well, I guess. Again, I don't want to diminish him. I, I just think he's an average pitcher. I don't, think he's, I don't think he's great. I don't think he's bad. I just think he's an average pitcher. That kind of just goes back to what I was saying, which is he's a ground ball guy. And those kind of guys are very hit or miss because it's based on, you know, four or five gloves around you getting the job done. And those results can fluctuate. Because if you told me right now he's a 3-2 ERA next year, I wouldn't be that surprised. And if you told me he had a 4-6 ERA next year, I would not be surprised either. And I don't think you want to pay top dollar for that when – you're really the game is going towards strikeouts a guy like Trevor Bauer I'm sure you were going to bring him up he makes a lot more sense to me for for the Mets and there, there are plenty of other guys that make a lot of sense and whether it's free agents or trade candidates yeah no a thousand percent uh the Mets have to be all in on on Trevor Bauer and JT Realmuto let's get to their offseason plans then um yeah those are the two guys that I target uh and and I'll spare no expense going after them. The funny thing with Bauer is I wonder if he's actually going to back up his quotes because Bauer has said repeatedly that he'll only sign one-year deals. Well, if he's going to sign a one-year deal, offer him the most money. If it works out, great. Keep offering him one-year deals. That's all. And if not, no big deal. Um, I'm sure at the end of the day, though, if if one team offers Trevor Bauer like five years, $100 million, I I have a really hard time believing that he'll say no. And, and, that's, and that's not fair market value for him either. Like, I know that I'm underselling him. But I just feel like if you could have one year at, what would you say, $27 million? 30. or 30. Yeah, right, 30. Right. Or five for 150. Like, come on now. That is yeah. life-changing money. The, the question <laughs> is, is that five-year 150 going to show up? Because you're talking about a guy who has had attitude problems. He's had injury concerns. He had an ERA over five last year. And then all of a sudden we're talking about 70 elite innings from a guy who you expected to see this transition eventually. Did he break out? Was this a hot start? 
are you willing to bet your life as a general manager in this game on that bet? And I, I think somebody is, but I think he's looking more at a four-year, $105, $110 million deal, which makes me think, would he rather take a higher annual value at, let's say, two-year, $62 million, which right. is something that I would be all over if I were the Mets. A hundred percent. And and make it an incentive-laden deal. You can have sort of a J.D. Martinez or Jake Arrieta type deal, too, with a bunch of opt-outs in there if he wants to yeah. come back right. Um, that's no problem. But, yeah, DeGrom needs, DeGrom needs a second horse in the rotation. Um, obviously, you've got Syndergaard coming back, but, you know, the first year after Tommy John surgery is never certain. You can't certain. count on him. You um, can't. You saw what happened with Wheeler. It took him two years to come back. Syndergaard's not expected to be ready for opening day anyway. So, to me, anything you get out of him is a bonus. And I, I'm looking at it like I have to replace that spot in, in the offseason. Right. And you also have to replace Steven Matz, unfortunately. I, I know that he's not uh, leaving the team, or I don't believe that he's obligated to leave. I don't think they're going to non-tender him if they can. Um, but you'd have to imagine that you need another left-handed starter, some, some safe play. But I can count the amount of good catchers on one hand. And – the Mets have not had a good catcher since, I mean, I, Mike Piazza was a Hall of Fame catcher. But I would take a Paula Duca type player behind so that's the plate. The, that's the thing. He's a Paula Duca like player right. who is a, a good player, an all-star caliber player each and every year at a weak position, but he's not a superstar. Right. And you have to pay him like he is. You know, he already rejected $100 million in Miami two years before free agency because he wanted Buster Posey money. And he might be worth Buster Posey money for a year. He might be worth Buster Posey money for two years. But if you think you're getting that for him for six years when he's going to be 30 years old before he ever suits up for you, I think it's going to be a problem. And I would rather bet that Trevor Bauer is the ace that he's been this year than, than Real Muto is a top two, three catcher in the game for the next six years. So I understand Real Muto makes all the sense in the world for the Mets. They must fill that position. But if they decided to go a different route because – it's a dangerous play. I would not be upset. I'm just trying to think of the other catchers that would be out there as free agents. Like, so if they don't go after JT Realmuto, what do you do? Do you do you keep Ramos? Do you? You don't keep Ramos. Ramos right. looks like he's done as a starting caliber catcher, especially because you got to get somebody who's a little better defensively. You know, you had a you had a, a team that really struggled to throw break you know their their breaking balls had problems i think part of that was because they these guys were a little nervous about throwing stuff in the dirt on oh two one two pitches because all of a sudden wild pitch you, you lose the game they were like what like three and ten in one run games for a while it was insane and i think two of those games were because they lost on wild pitches uh it's interesting because there was a there was talk of the deadline about uh vasquez with the red Sox, and right. he's not a great catcher um, he's fine. He had basically half his damage at the plate in a series against the Mets this year, which I think was the reason why Brody was looking at him, but he doesn't make a lot of money. I don't think he would cost a lot in terms of prospects. If you go with him for a year, I don't think that's the worst idea in the world. I would be, you know, going after real Muto, but I don't think I would want to give him more than 20 million a year. Right. So, so if you, I, yeah, if you can get Vasquez in a, in a trade and you're paying him $6 million next year for a year, before he hits free agency, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. You could fill the position long-term eventually. These are the top five catchers that are free agents this offseason. Uh, obviously, Real Muto that we just mentioned. Wilson Ramos is a free agent. Yadier Molina, who's not leaving St. Louis. Uh, 
Jason Castro and Robinson Chirinos. I mean, Steve, no. you know, you know, Roberto, it has to be a trade, right? It's got to be a trade. Roberto Perez was a good catcher a few years ago. I wouldn't mind having Francisco Cervelli as a backup, but those are not. He has like 10 concussions. I don't know if I trust him to get through a season. I mean, did he even make it through the season in Miami? You're right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. Maybe that's just my, my backup. Uh, Mike, Mike Zanino, you know, but that doesn't, that doesn't stir uh, the wagon. No, I mean, I, I need a like, Look, it's a defensive position, but I need a guy who could hit above 210, and I don't trust he could do that. Look, there, there, there'll be a guy out there in a trade. There, there's always teams selling, looking to dump money. I would think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm blanking on the name. Uh, Omar Navarez, Navarez, right. uh, yeah. no, He was basically given away from Seattle to Milwaukee last year. He didn't hit at all. Maybe you can wind up go plucking him and see if you get him as a buy low guy. You know, again with Ramos, he's an offensive catcher, so. I'd like to get a little better defensively than one of those two guys, but there, there are, there are a few options out there in trades. And again, the Mets have the financial might now to go take on a bigger contract. If they think uh, it it could solve their issues there for a year or two. Right. 1000%. All right. Let's put a bow on the Mets, their 2020 season. We joke that, you know, 29 teams made the playoffs and the Mets did not make the playoffs. Having said that, Steve, though, it's still a disappointing year. The Mets did have the talent. I understand that DeGrom was the only competent, consistent pitcher on the roster, but it, it's the same song and dance again. It's the bullpen. It's the back end of the rotation. Uh, Pete Alonso regressed like we all thought he would. Uh, it, it, I'm not going to knock Luis Rojas because it's his first year. He was thrown into a firestorm. Do you bring him back next year? He didn't do anything to lose the job. If, if Sandy has a guy – then okay, I'm okay well, with okay, that. Okay, so but... like Sandy is the president. The Mets don't. The, the president normally is Jeff Wilpon. So now Sandy is taking Jeff Wilpon's role, and they will hire a new GM. So it's up to Sandy and this new GM to pick the manager. And if this new GM goes, "Hey, I was in Tampa, or I was in Milwaukee, and I had this amazing guy who I think would be perfect. He should be the that should be the guy." Okay. But if, if they're like, hey, you know what? We're making the lineups. We're setting all these things anyway. Let's give, let's give Rojas a chance, and then we could fire him in a year if it's not good. You could do that too. But it has to be this Sandy and the new GM's call. I don't want to hear, oh, because Luis Rojas was in this organization for a decade, he deserves a second chance. Because, look, he was fine. He wasn't, there was not enough there to evaluate. But at the same time, it's a position where the most important thing that person can do is be on the same page with your GM. So if that GM should be able to handpick that person to me. Right. Especially like you said, when Collins was there, Sandy Alderson wrote the lineup out. I know that they made a joke in the media, but he did that. And you don't Brody, think that's Brody not going to happen doing again. It for the last two managers Correct. too. So I, I don't right. really see a reason why. And like, also like we can't really evaluate what Luis Rojas did because half the stuff that we didn't like and or liked was because of Brody. So I can't evaluate this guy. I don't know if he can manage. I, if, if they feel confident they have a guy who they know can manage, I would be all over him. Right. And who are the best managerial candidates out there? You know who the best managerial candidates that are out AJ, there? AJ Hinch, AJ Hinch and Alex Cora. Alex Cora. Right. Exactly. That's exactly who it is. Who, now, and they will not if, sniff a job. If you're No, I think Cora could go back to Boston. I really believe that could happen. But if you're Steve Cohen, you know, can your first move 
be hiring a cheater? Can you really do that? Can you get away with that? You might be able to get away with that three years from now after they fire Luis Rojas in 2022 or 2023, but can you really do that as your first order of business right now? I mean, I don't see why not. Like, what's, what's the knock against it? I get that he's a cheater, right? But if you're just going basically from a manager, uh, from a manager standpoint, everybody in Boston loved him. They all cheated in Houston. Everybody loved him in Houston, too. Um, he's not a guy that, that, that divides the clubhouse. If anything, he unites it, unites it enough to cheat and get suspended for a year. Um, but listen, I do think Alex Cora is a very talented manager, and you're right. He will land on his feet. I don't think, I think he's he going to go, go back, back to, to Boston. Boston. I think it really could happen. They already fired Renicky, and they already well, I mean, like, like ownership loves Alex Cora. So I, I think there's a one in three chance that he is he is a Red Sox manager next year. Those are fair odds. I'd say twenty five percent. But there's no Joe Girardi looming out there anymore. Uh, I'm tired of everyone saying Buck Showalter. Buck Showalter has become the Jeff Van Gundy of baseball managers where it's like, Oh, there's a managerial open. Who should we hire? Oh, well, Buck Showalter is going to get an interview. Someone one should hire him, but two, it doesn't surprise me that the game is passing Buck by. It's, it's not mean, his world anymore. It's just what we said. The game comes down to following orders and being a manager for your guys to make sure everybody gels in a clubhouse. And to me, it's like, you know, Buck's best days were making tactical decisions and sometimes he was great at that and then sometimes he leaves Zach Britton in his bullpen and those decisions aren't as relevant now because you're talking to your GM and scouts and assistant GMs before the game for three hours about every single move you're going to make so I don't think Buck is going to get another chance because I don't think Buck has any interest as an older guy in listening to some hot shot Harvard kid who's 40 years old telling him how to manage his club. Right. So, I mean, that's why I didn't think Girardi was going to get another chance either, but he, he did. Yeah, no, well, he found the right ownership group. I, I've said this a million times. The Mets should have hired Joe Girardi. They, there's, no, there's no reason not to hire him. He was the best manager out there. He was. There Brody was no reason. Con- Brody there- wanted control. Brody no, I know, but say, I'm just saying. I'm setting the lineup, and Girardi's not going to go for that for some guy who's never managed before, and his big moment in baseball has been this disastrous Cano trade. I understand that. I'm just saying there's no logical baseball reason not to hire Joe Girardi as a manager. Well, that's, that's, the, that's the reason. Right. And the yeah, money. No. Right, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, <laughs> 1,000%. Yeah, it just bothers me to see him. But real, real quick before we get off the Mets, the, the Sandy Alderson thing I don't think is getting enough hype where it reminds me exactly what the Dodgers did when they hired Andrew Friedman. And right. Andrew Friedman was this brilliant guy in Tampa who just got the most out of nothing. And they didn't win any World Series. They got to one, and they bring him in, and he's shown that he can continue to churn out good young players he can find diamonds in the rough like max muncie justin turner and he's shown he can work with a budget but he doesn't need they don't spend on every single free agent they brought in one big guy and that was mookie Betts. you know everybody else is what like zach Ranke was there for two years and then they let him walk to a rival so i think it's gonna be a very similar situation if you had to compare you know, what, what the Mets might look like. It's going to be the Dodgers where you're trying to churn out young talent. Every young player that we like or don't like on this team is from Sandy Alderson, you know? So, and now they're going to have the financial might to add, you know, key pieces to this core. Right. And listen, the GM is going to be somebody who Sandy has uh, Oakland ties with. 
Like it's yeah. it's gonna be it's gonna be a JP Ricciardi. I think Paul De Podesta is still with the Browns. I don't know if he's gonna come back to baseball. They but it's gonna be he's one not of those that guys. Interested in coming back to baseball? He seems to be liking that. But a name that has been circled around. You mentioned the A's. Is their assistant GM Billy Owens? Right. And he's been a name that could he could become the GM. I don't think they're gonna give it to Omar Manaya, but I would not be surprised if he stayed in the organization in a high ranking role. But Again, it's Sandy's show, and I, I'm really excited to see what they go from this as long as Cohen is voted in. Let it happen, please. This might just be nostalgia speaking. I'd let Omar be the GM again. He did nothing wrong. He really didn't do anything wrong in his tenure. It was around Jason the Madoff Bay. scandal. Well, Jason Bay was bad, but that was, what, four years, $66 million? I mean, I, and Listen, he was awful. Then. He was awful. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not knocking that, but built a good team, built a good win-now team. From 06 to 08. I, I like him I know in his role now, just scouting. I mean, a lot of these key Mets are because of Omar, and I'd like to keep him in that role. And then you go find some, you know, analytically driven guy, Billy Owens. I've heard uh, Stearns with the Brewers. Mm-hmm. I heard he was a guy that Cohen really coveted this time last year. He's a guy who's turned out incredible talent in Milwaukee, despite you know, being what, 20th in payroll. So there's a million different ways to go because there's so many really smart people in the game right now and the Mets have just passed them by. You know, they, they had Heim Bloom in their hands and, you know, they let him walk to Boston. He would have been the perfect guy. He'd probably be the GM right now and we wouldn't be talking about a GM change. But I'm really excited to see where they go from this because I have a good feeling that they're going to get the right guy. Yeah. yeah I think Stearns went to, I'm looking this up now, he went to Harvard, but he's from the city. I think he went to either Xavier or Regis. I could be wrong. But he started in the, uh, in the Mets baseball op- office. Did he really? I did not yeah. know that. He's only yeah. 35 years old. So. But I, I, I don't know how you'd get him out of Milwaukee, but you give him some big money and uh, you offer them a prospect. I don't, think, uh, I, don't know if, I don't know if he had come to work under Sandy, but perhaps maybe in a year or two when Sandy's looking to step aside – in retirement, you put him as president of baseball ops, or you pr- promote the GM to president, you put him there. I don't know. But right. there's a million ways they can go about this, and it's all really exciting because for the first time in a long time, they have so many options. Yeah. No, Owen would excite me. Uh, Stearns would definitely excite me because I love what the Brewers have done. And if Omar came back, I would not say, oh, this is a terrible move. I'm, I'm cool with it. I'm cool with it, but he's not my first choice. Um, yeah. But it wouldn't bother me. Okay, let's go to the playoffs, what's going on now. So we're recording this on a Wednesday night. Um, as of right now, it is – I'm waiting for the score bug to come up, but the Cardinals are still leading the Padres 6-4, I think, in the eighth inning. 6-4, um, bottom eight. 6-4, bottom eight. The Rays have already swept the Blue Jays. The Minnesota Twins have now lost 18 straight playoff games in a row. The Houston Astros sweeping them in Minneapolis. The Yankees game is in a rain and wind delay which has been a lot of fun. I think they just started. They're, uh, they're bottom one. No, they did, but then one they went back to nothing. the delay. Did they? they yeah. went back to a delay. That's brutal. Yeah. That's, that's not what you want when you have Tanaka on the mound. You, that's, that's, they're always treating him with kid gloves. You're going to go with two delays? Oh. 100%. Uh, earlier today, the Marlins beat the Cubs, uh, and the game that I watched was the Reds and the Braves in, 14 in, in 13 innings. Freddie Freeman walks it off against former Angela Omelette great Amir Garrett. Uh, Trevor Bauer and Max Fried lived up to the height. Before we get to just the playoffs itself, because I do want to start with the Braves and the Reds, uh, I thought Jacob – I predicted at the beginning of the year that Jacob DeGrom would win his third straight Cy Young Award. 
he's going to fall short, but not for a lack of trying. Trevor Bauer was just better than him this year. And he was phenomenal today, Steve. And you're right. Like, what he's going to do for the Reds in the playoffs, if they continue to advance, um, he's going to get paid. But having said that, let's start with the Reds. Everyone has talked about the Reds are a sleeper. The Reds are a sleeper. Boy, I wouldn't want to face the Reds. And I get that. I wouldn't want to face them either. They didn't hit. And they had numerous opportunities to win the game today, and they I mean, couldn't get it done. And they've got John, an all-star John, lineup. They, they didn't, hit, but like John, they didn't hit all year. And you right. look at the names in this lineup: Votto, Castellanos, Mustakis, and like Winker. And like those guys are all extremely streaky. You know, Castellanos was blazing to start the year, and you're like, oh, he'll opt out. This they gave him an opt out after this year and an opt out after next year. And you said, oh, we might use both of those. He didn't hit at all after, you know, August 8th or something. So you have him. Winker hit, you know, 100 in September. He didn't hit. You know, Joey Votto looks like he's just playing out the string of his contract. He didn't hit. None of these guys have any power. So the problem is you got to string three singles together to get a run in. They would get two, and then the guy would get thrown out on the bases. It was a disaster. And then John. How in the world do you pitch to Freddie Freeman I know. with a base open? I mean, come on. You see, we've seen this too many times. It's like they're not watching NLE's baseball. You know, it's unreal how you let that happen. I know it's left on left, but he's hit lefties. and He's going to win make, the MVP, I, Steve. You know, it didn't make any sense to me. What do you have, Ozuna on deck? I mean, Ozuna was like 0 for 5 with like 4Ks, 3Ks. I, I didn't get that at all. I agree. I was thinking that too at the same time. I know it's lefty on lefty and Garrett has figured it out and could be a closer someday. He's got the stuff, but you're right. Like I, I was thinking I'd rather Ozuna beat us than Freddie Freeman. Um, especially you considering the season go down to Freddie Freeman. You and you've got the three batter minimum. So you know that if Garrett gets Freeman out, like he still has to face Ozuna. He still has to face, maybe they thought that he would, they feared walking in a run, a wild pitch or whatever. But, yeah, for, for Cincinnati at the beginning of the year when we did our little prediction show, which happened to be the day that they said that they would expand the playoffs. So that threw all of our predictions out the window. I picked the Reds to win the World Series. I'm still going to stick with it. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it is panic city for the Reds. If, if, they, if they don't hit like they did in game one, it's over. It's over yeah. because that Braves lineup is stacked. And I'll take a, a slumping Ronald Acuna and Marcelo Zuna over what the Reds are throwing out there. Yeah, I mean, you look at what the Braves have right now. Acuna's banged up. You know, Ozzy Albies was, did not have a good year. It was basically the Freddie Freeman show today. And look, they didn't have a lot of opportunities to score. I mean, what, they have like six hits compared to like the Reds, like 13. So that, that can't happen again. That seemed a little fluky. But I, at the same time, I just don't think this Reds lineup deserves to be here. It's, it was that bad this year. And I don't really see how they're going to fight back because you can't really pitch any better than they did today. It's, you know, they have what Luis Castillo and, and Sonny Gray, the rest of the series. Can those guys throw scoreless baseball? I mean, they were up and down in the regular season. So I'm curious how that goes, but I would think I picked the Reds to win this series, but I, I would not want to be that pick right now. Yeah. Uh, one other series that I didn't mention tied at one, one, is the White Sox and the A's. Just to touch on them really quickly, I thought that the White Sox would be good this year. I didn't think that they would win the division. Um, I hate to say I told you so, but they should have won the division, <laughs> number one. Uh, they had a bad, uh, I think, final 10 games of the season. But, Steve, Oakland, 
I mean, if you're an Oakland fan, they give you heart palpitations every single October. And I guess they're lucky that today was September 30th and not October because the A's found a way to hold on to the game. But they didn't Jose, work for the Twins. Right, I know. Jose Abreu, I think he hit the ball at least 200 miles an hour on the last out of the game that a base hit would have tied the game. What do you make of Oakland? Because I feel that you can make the argument that they've got the best lineup in the American League, and they could be the best team in the American League. But I, I don't know. I, they just always scare me in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, they didn't hit it as much as you'd like them to in the regular season, and then they lose Matt Chapman. And so it's kind of like Chris Davis did not have his big year. Marcus Simeon finished third in MVP voting last year. This year he had a very mad year, and you're, he's going into free agency, and he's going to get a two-year $25 million deal now instead of the $100 million he would have got last offseason. And, again, just Chapman makes his team go. You're missing all three of those guys. And you know what? Olsen did not have a good year either. So you're talking about four key bats that were helpful for them last year, didn't do really anything this year. So I don't think you had a lot of expectations you know, going into the playoffs as you did the last couple of years, it really is just more about they just can't get over the hump and win a, and win a series. One more series that I just wanted to get into a little more in depth, obviously, is the Yankees and the Indians, the good 4-5 matchup. I, I like the Yankees from the beginning of this, and I'm trying to remember the last time the Yankees had the better team. Like, I feel that the Yankees have the better team. I think they're better than the Indians. I think – all the teams from the NL and AL East are significantly better than the other teams in the Central and the West. You can make the case for the Dodgers, I get it, um, and the A's. But, Steve, I, I, I can't think of a time where the Yankees had the better team and lost the series in recent history. Like, you'd probably have to go back to, I don't know, 2010, maybe, if that. Um, and, and they ended up, I think 2010, they lost to the Rangers in the first round. They had a couple years where they were back and forth with the Tigers. And I think one of those they lost. Uh, It was the year where Jeter got hurt Mm -hmm. seriously. And, you know, I thought they were probably the better team, but Jeter got hurt. That kind of threw it, you know, a a wrench into it. But look, this Yankee team is really good. They, They hit, they pitch. Their bullpen was not great. And at the same time, I have every confidence in the world that Chapman and Adovino and, and you know, Britain are all going to figure it out because they always do. And they're not old, so I don't really right. see why they would have a problem. And really all they did this year was everyone was hurt, just like they were last year. They had new guys step up, and Luke Voigt became an MVP candidate. So there's no reason for me to think a long playoff run is not coming because they check all the boxes. Yeah. Gary Sanchez again, though, man. I mean, that's that's it's always a, it's always a surprising thing with Gary Sanchez because you just know how talented he is, but he's just so frustrating to have as your catcher. If he was my catcher, I'd be so frustrated with him because you my know catcher. that he's got all star power, right? He's your catcher, who I've always wanted um, <laughs> in the dynasty league. No, but seriously, um, it, it, it's always a discussion every year. Sh- should Gary Sanchez not catch pitcher X this year? It's Garrett Cole, and you know what? For the next nine years. That's going to be a discussion until they can figure it out. Um, and his bat has not made him uh, – the, the Yankees have not relied on his bat. So, for that reason, he's not obligated to be in the lineup every game. And the Yankees yeah. basically have a draw at the catcher position when you know that Sanchez is significantly more talented than Kyle Higashioka, but he's just not getting it done at the plate. 
And he's a very risky catcher behind the plate when you've got Adovino and Chapman throwing slop or throwing 105 miles an hour. And if in a short series, you know, I don't know if I want Gary Sanchez behind the plate in the ninth inning with like the bases loaded. Yeah, it's, it's certainly a problem. I think it's probably the biggest problem you would say the Yankees have because they don't have a lot of issues. Right. But look, he still hits for power. He had a, you know, a big last couple of weeks of September. You thought that might have got him going until the last weekend of the season where he basically struck out on every at-bat he had. So I don't know if you can count on him, but at the same time, he's known for the theatrics. He's had some big, big home runs. You, you put him near the bottom of the order. He's a threat down there. Pitchers have to, you know, be careful with him. And I understand Sashioka had a better season. He had a, you know, a season that showed he is a major league player. He had a three home run game. But if you're, if you're a opposing pitcher, who would you rather face? You know, you would not right. rather face the big power bat. And so I put him at the bottom of the lineup. I hope things work out and he's going to get some big home runs for me. But at the end of the day, pitchers have to work harder to face him. And I think, you know, those at-bats, you know, throughout a series could add up. So I would rather have him – and, again, I'm not counting on him to hit third. I'm not counting on him to hit fifth. Like, you might have thought he would have, you know, to, going into the season. But you're putting him eighth or ninth right now. It's not the end of the world. And you just hope he doesn't kill you in it defensively. He just had an all-world start to his career. That yeah. you thought that he was going to be the next Pudge or – I'm trying to think. Carlton Fisk, Mike Piazza, it's just like that type of guy. The swing just gets so long, and it, and he just doesn't adjust quick enough. I don't know if it's him not listening to coaching. You got to think these coaches are telling him, "Hey, by the way, you, you're swinging over these breaking balls and get it together." But next year's a new year. This is one to kind of a loss year for him. But at the end of the day, if if you're batting him ninth and he hits you two or three home runs in these playoffs, I think you're probably going to be okay. Right. Yeah, and it wouldn't surprise me if – one, it wouldn't surprise me if the Yankees-Indian series goes three games. Yeah. It also wouldn't surprise me if Sanchez hits, like, the, the game-opening home run. Yeah. You know, or, like, the game-breaking home run to, to, to give the Yankees a bigger lead. We could switch to the playoffs. We could switch to the regular season. What are some things that have really intrigued you or surprised you uh, over baseball over the last – since the last time we spoke, what, two months ago, three months ago? The way it started – I could not believe they got through this regular season because you got two teams right off the bat with COVID. They don't seem to be taking it seriously in terms of like the league itself. You've like 18 Marlins go down and basically they just pushed through it. And, and they both made the playoffs. the, The Cardinals go down. They, I mean, what it was like the Cardinals, the Reds, the Marlins and the Mets were like, were like the four, right? Yes. And, like, the Padres-Giants had, like, a hiccup for, like, a game. Mm-hmm. But, like, of those four teams, three of those four made the playoffs. So, you can't really say COVID has impacted the season in any way at this point. And if you told me that going into the year, I would say it was a, it was a success because the goal was to make sure this was not an asterisk year. And if COVID's not going to impact it, I don't really see how it can be an asterisk year. No, and considering that there are more teams in the playoffs now, yeah. Um, it's harder than ever. It's harder. It's harder than ever, right. So at least from a parity standpoint, it'll be harder. Listen, they got lucky this year. That's how I'd categorize lucky. baseball. Absolutely. They got lucky. They dodged the bullet this year. Now you see the NFL trying to do the same thing where they're like, right. oh, it worked for baseball. We could be cheap and not get a bubble. But now all of a sudden the money's on the line 
And they're like, all right, let's put the division series in a bubble because now the big money's on the line. We can't let anything happen to these players. But the regular season where they're claiming they're losing money, eh, do whatever you want. If we get shut down, we get shut down. Right. Steve, at the end of the day, that's all that matters is money. That's, that's exactly what it is. Well, we saw – I got the notification from The Athletic earlier that in the LCS and the World Series, the new, Glo- the new Globe Life Park or whatever it's called in, in Texas, uh, the site of the World Series in LCS, will be permitting in 11,500 fans, which that's not a bubble. Are you going to quarantine those almost 12,000 fans? That's not a bubble. And what no. happens – what happens if you get to – because what's going to happen, Steve, is like they'll let fans in for game one of the um, championship series, but you won't know a player gets infected till the middle of the World Series. Like what do you do if you, if you have like four positive cases before game three of the World Series or even <sighs> further? I think they probably have to shut it down for a couple of days and hope you can continue. I mean, the further along you get, the easier it is to shut down for a week and say, we'll come back because it's less teams to have to quarantine and all these kind of things. But look, I know it's, they, they want to make their, their money, but it just doesn't seem worth it to have a quarter of a stadium filled in Texas. You know, are people really flying out to go see, you know, Braves, you know, Cubs in the NLCS? Like, I don't know if they're flying out to Texas for that. So it just doesn't seem like a high, you know, it's a high risk, medium reward kind of thing. I don't really get why you do it because look, we don't know how this virus works. If you're telling me it's airborne, could in theory fans in the stands, even if they're socially distanced, infect players? Because if they can, this thing's over quickly. And I just don't see how it's worth it. So... I learned this a few years ago um, when I was working at MLB.com that the Texas Rangers are the only team in baseball that can have the option to, like, day of game, move their game to nighttime. So, like, if, if, it, if it gets too warm, because the reason is every Sunday it'd be the, the heat index would feel like 105 the degrees, ones? 110. Yeah, it was it was like something not Arizona along, or, or well like Arizona's Astros? got Arizona's both of those teams have domes, have retractable roofs. So you can okay. control the climate there. You couldn't control yeah. the climate in Arlington. So they had the right, if they wanted to on Sundays, to have a Sunday night game. It just obviously wouldn't air on ESPN. Um, and we haven't seen that that often, but the the Rangers did have the option to do that. Well, now they're in a retractable roof setting. So now you're inside with twelve thousand people let's just call it 12,000 people because I don't want to say 11,500. They're all going to wear masks. Like they're all going to do that. No, come on now. And, and the funny thing about that is, yeah, I don't know who's going to travel. There will be some fans that travel, like no doubt about it. There will be people there, but it's like, it just seems like it's not necessary to make this risk. 100%. Not enough money on the line to say we're jeopardizing billions of dollars for this postseason for this. I, I don't know what they're thinking here. I mean, look, I'm sure they're going to socially distance people and they're going to try every precaution in the book. And I think they'll get away with it because it's only two weeks of baseball, but it seems unnecessary. Listen, I don't want to be the morbid guy. These professional sports leagues have gotten lucky that the cases have not gotten out of hand. They've mostly been around 
one or two percent. The NBA passes it with flying colors. They work um, much harder than than football and baseball to get this done. They put them in a bubble. They spent more money on precautions. They did not let guests in for a while, and they did amazingly. And they were also first. It's not like they saw what baseball was doing and said, "Okay, don't do that." They were first, and they picked all these things going on, and they you know, baseball and football have an opportunity to follow their lead. You know, every single time they show one of these aerial coverage things from the bubble in, uh, in Orlando, you see three or four baseball fields over there. I don't really right. see why they couldn't put the playoffs over there and make this work, but here we are. A hundred percent. But the reason that the NBA bubble worked is because everyone got there three weeks early. They got continuous tests and they were quarantining. Whereas these baseball teams are not quarantining. Who knows what's going on now? You know, like, who, who really knows what's going on? Um, but having said that, the NBA has done a really good job. Baseball, um, I'm glad that they got through it. But like I said, I don't want to be the, the morbid guy. They're lucky that a player hasn't passed away, you know, or a coach hasn't passed away from this. Or gotten seriously sick. Correct. Right. You know, Freddie Freeman got seriously sick, but that was before they even started camp. So, they're, they're lucky that no one's been seriously sick, or at least that we know of. And uh, you hope that continues because, again, we're, we're so close to the finish line here. They're, they're close to luckily getting through this. Right. Okay, so before we go, uh, let's go into predictions. And we'll, we'll definitely talk as we get earlier, uh, as we get closer to the World Series. But, okay, we'll just go series by series of the remaining series that are to be played. So the Rays had already won their series. So did the Astros. So we're not going to pick those. Uh, Yankees, Indians. I'm taking the Yankees. I know they're de- they just resume play. They're down now 4 nothing. So I don't know if they're going to win this one against Carrasco and the Indians. Tanaka has not looked great. But I'm taking the Yankees at maybe in three. Yeah, so that's two Yankees there. Uh, A's and White Sox. White Sox. I think the A's, they have some problem. And they're. I think they're going to have to go to Manaya tomorrow. And the White Sox kill lefties. So... I think uh, that one, they almost lost today. So I would think uh, the White Sox are taking that. I'm going to go with the A's. I never do. I always pick against the A's. The A's have not had any success in the playoffs in our lifetimes. Um, But it's 2020. Anything can happen. They're at home, um, which has not helped them in the past. In fact, they've lost their last five elimination games at home (laughs) in in the postseason. But I'm going to go with the A's for that. The White Sox had a phenomenal year. They were the most fun team to watch for me um, this year. So I really... Enjoyed them. All right, National League side. Uh, Braves up one nothing on the Reds. Do the Braves close it out tomorrow against the Reds, or what do you think? I'm going to say the Reds take game, and the Braves probably take the game three. It's Look, the Reds pitching right now, the rest of the series is better. It is. You know, I just believe right now they just don't hit. And I don't know how you come back from 0 for 100 with runners and scoring position losing you know guys on the bases they lost a guy at home they lost a guy at third they lost a guy I think they lost a guy at second too so they lost a guy literally every base so I don't know how you recover from that so I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Braves I think they're gonna win it either you know tomorrow or the day after I'm gonna go with the Cincinnati Buds in three Um, they've just been a fun team to watch I picked them to win the World Series this year I can't back away from that there you go Um, no Uh, okay Cubs Marlins I'm going to take the Cubs. I know the Marlins took game one, but, you know, Starling Marte was their spark plug. He he looks like he broke his hand. They're going to say he's going to try to play through it since there's a non-displaced fracture, but I'm not sure if that's 
realistic. I think the Cubs are the better team. I think Sandy Alcantara was their best pitcher who went today. So they're going to have to get other guys to get through this series. I understand Sixto Sanchez is going to go game two, but I'm going to take the Cubs in, uh, in the three games. Yeah, same. I'm going with Cubs in three. Slam Diego and St. Louis. I'm taking uh, the Cardinals here. I mean, besides for them being up 7-4 in this game currently, I don't think the Padres have enough pitching. You know, you're talking about Zach Davies, who's a journeyman kind of guy going game two. And then who the heck knows is going game three because Lamette and Clevenger are both off the roster. So you're going to go with the kid Mackenzie Gore, the top left-handed pitching prospect in the game in his major league debut in an elimination game. I don't know. And I don't know if they have even better options than that. They're probably going to have to go with a bullpen game. And I don't like that in a do or die game three. So I'm going to take the Cardinals. Yeah, I'm going with the Cardinals as well, like you said. What a terrible break for, for Slam. Terrible break. Terrible, terrible break. break. And I'm, I'm really excited to see how they bounce back next year. You know, Tatis was really, really great until the last two, three weeks when he kind of hit a wall. You wonder if, you know, they could have given him a couple of days off down the stretch. But, you know, I think next year they bounce back and they're going to be a real threat to the Dodgers for that division, which we, we will start to care about again next year probably. Right. Uh, the three teams, was it three teams or four teams? The four teams that I, were really, that I was really excited for this year all made the playoffs. So, um, I mean, that's not saying much. Or maybe most of I'm them just did. a bandwagoner. But most of them did. Most, yeah, right. Uh, but in terms of the Blue Jays, the, the Padres, the White Sox, and the Reds, I was really excited to see, um, to see them make the playoffs. I feel like they've got good young talent for the most part. The Reds obviously a little older. Um, but those other three teams are going to be fun to watch. Um, I'm picking the Dodgers. I picked the Dodgers to go to the LCS this year. I'm sticking with that. Um, but just for the intensive purposes of the series, the Dodgers don't go home early against the Brewers, I don't think. Look, I mean, the Brewers' best chance in this series was to piece together bullpen games, which I didn't really like that idea for the Padres. But it works for Milwaukee. They've done it before. And their big weapon, Devin Williams, who no one's really heard of too much yet. He started to get a little hype down the stretch for Rookie of the Year. He was unhittable this year. I think he struck out 53% of the batters who faced him this year. Him and Hayter are the best, you know, 8-9 combo in the game. And, you know, it sounds like he's got some shoulder soreness. He did not make the roster. And now it's like that big weapon that was probably their big plan to go down the stretch. I don't really see how they can beat the Dodgers two out of three. I don't see it. All right. So those are our predictions for the wild card round. Um, we'll definitely do an LDS LCS and then World Series show too coming up, Steve. So that way we've got content rolling in. Um, you can catch him out on the All Hoops podcast. That's my buddy, Stephen Inman. Steve, always a pleasure, my dude. Thank you, John. I really, really appreciate you letting me come on. I love talking Mets. I love talking MLB playoffs with you. And I can't wait to do it again in a couple of weeks. Should be a lot of fun. <laughs>